This is the Happy Are You Poor podcast, discussing topics related to radical Christian community. This is your host, Malcolm Schlenderfritz. My guest today is Tim Keller. This is the second half of my conversation with Tim. If you haven't listened to our last episode, please listen to that one first. It provides an essential background for this conversation. I also thought I would take the opportunity right now to mention that the purpose of this website is to generate discussion. So if you have thoughts or questions, please let us know. There's a comment form for every episode on our website. You've talked about, you know, this this community and the, the covenant charismatic model. What uh, downsides or mistakes along the way do you think uh, would be good for other people to learn from, you know, where they're difficulties and struggles or or flaws in that particular model that you'd like to address? Yeah, of course. Um, that's a great question. It's really important too is, and you know, I, I see people, I'm in the, the Benedict Option Forum. And one of the things that I notice, it seems like people are looking almost for a utopian idea of community um, rather than a, a practical one that, that that actually is in front of them. And there are many communities out there, but, you know, I've, I've brought to mind, hey, you know, people go look at some of these communities but it doesn't really resonate with them because I think they're looking for something that's like doesn't really exist. And so the answer is that there is no perfect community. Um, and I think the imperfections of our community didn't have to do with the fact that it was charismatic. It had to do with the fact that it was built by humans, right? You know, it was guided by the Holy right. Spirit, but humans were involved in it. And so there was a lot of mistakes that were made for sure. You know, you don't, you don't get that much good without a lot of struggle and challenges. So um, you know, if you don't mind, I'll walk through a couple of the things that I think we learned that are really important as as people work to build community. And the first one I want to mention is um, balancing individual freedom or free will with accountability. And, you know, you can't have any organization that doesn't have some level of accountability. You can have too much, you can have too little. And I think early on, because of a lot of the zeal that people had, we probably had too much accountability. Um, you know, you are when you're building community and you're having small groups and you're kind of vulnerable to one another, you know, you, you share different personal things in your life, you know, people may overstep uh, their bounds in, in speaking into your life. You know, you want people to surprise you support, you want people to encourage you, but there are some limits to that in knowing where to draw that line is really important. It's, it's not easy to know. You have to kind of figure that out um, because, you know, you can have too much accountability or not enough. In either case, it can ruin a community. Um, and so it does take some amount of time to, to get the, the wisdom of, of how you balance that. Um, we had uh, within the community, we had 10 agreements and they were pretty simple, you know, reading, reading scripture daily, praying every day, tithing, um, maintaining good relationships and things like that. So we had some things that we were trying to hold one another accountable for. Um, so there, there needed to be some level of accountability, but learning that balance took some time. So that, that's something that I think everyone always has to watch out for is uh, balancing free will and accountability. That's an interesting one because uh, I was thinking uh, a few, probably two years ago, uh, we were discussing with my family, you know, like the sad thing was, you know, like at the parish you're going to, if someone stopped showing up, nobody would really notice until maybe right. like, you know, many months had gone by, you know, like, right. Oh, I haven't seen so-and-so recently. I wonder. Right. Um, and that's, you know, like in one sense, you know, like it's an accountability thing. You're know, like, what, and, and not just because they might've, you know, left the faith, probably not being like, maybe there's something wrong or, but then on the other hand, I remember reading about this kind of more dysfunctional community, this young woman who eventually uh, kind of fled the community um, where there was, you know, kind of like 
this kind of buddy system. And, you know, if you didn't show up to meetings and stuff, somebody would, would show up at your house to find out what was going on, which could be a good thing. But in the, as she was describing in the case of this community, it turned into kind of this really, um, you know, you were really pressured, like uh, you really pressured to always show up because of course somebody would be showing up knocking on your door if you didn't. Um, so there can be kind of like this tension between being, yeah, too, like, you know, too anonymous and unaccountable and being too like, uh, um, too controlling or too manipulative of people, right. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. There's always going to be tension between that when you, you know, when you start moving closer and you start building trust, you know, there, there's also, there's grounds for trouble that can come in as well. So yeah, there, you're, there's always going to, that's something, you know, as a leader, you got to know that it, it can happen and you have to try and be careful and make sure that you, you do respect people's free will, but at the same time, you do need to encourage and be accountable. And so, yep, it, it'll take some pastoral wisdom to know how to do that the right way. So then um, a second thing that I want to mention, and you kind of touched it on a little bit already, is early on, um, there was uh, there was a bit of pride, you know, some kind of prideful attitude, I think, that because it really was amazing what was going on in our community, and I was very proud of it, and, and I wanted people to join it. I wanted everyone to be part of it. Um, but along with that can be this sense of like, well, but, you know, if you really want to, you really want to follow the Lord, you're going to do what we're doing. And, um, and, and that's where it kind of crosses a line where you want to take something good. You want to give that away. But at the same time, you know, you have to learn. And we learned kind of the hard way is that, you know, everything wasn't a perfect, perfect in community life. And um, uh, we had some things that were challenging for us that, that, you know, kind of put a stain on what we're trying to do, a stain on our reputation. And so, you know, it kind of knocked that pride down to like, all right, we are one way, but one really good, solid way, one way that we're very proud of, but we're not the only way. We're not the only thing God's doing in the world. And, and so, you know, you got to be able to extract your, you know, that, that uh, harmful pride from what you're doing. Uh, that was the second one. Um, and of course, you know, I went through a whole list of things that this community did. So you can imagine somebody has to organize that and make that happen. And so balancing community life and family life, that can be very challenging. Um, you, you really have to uh, have good um, pastoral, you know, I mentioned that we had, um, uh, you know, I would meet every month or so with somebody that would, you know, we'd talk about what community life was like. Um, that, that's where you'd say, you know, I'm overwhelmed. I need to back off. This is too much. And, and so learning how to do that and knowing when you need to, to stand back, uh, that's important as well. So um, balancing community and family life, of course. Um, another thing that you run into is, once you start a community like this, it has a tendency to attract some really needy people, um, people who may have had some pretty bad family life, um, may you know maybe they didn't have parents, um, they may have they may have a lot of underlying issues, and um, it can suck a lot of your energy just trying to you know parent these people, and then you realize oh my gosh I can't parent, you know I can't fill in all the background that these people are missing. You need counseling, you know, you need to go to professional counseling. And so you have to watch out in these situations to be able to, you know, cause a few people can really take all of the, all of the bandwidth of a community like that and knowing how to balance uh, when you have some really needy people within your midst. I mean, we have to serve one another, we have to help one another, but there actually are limits how, on how we do that because it can uh, consume the whole effort of a community for just a few people. Uh, the one last thing I want to mention, which I think is important, is, you know, we were working on bringing culture into our homes and doing, you know, nice artwork and nice celebrations and, and you know, have a nicely set table for different meals and things like that. And so you're, you're, you're increasing the culture within your home. 
but people have different levels. You know, not everyone cooks as well as the next. Not everyone has the artistic abilities. Not everyone can sing well. And so, you know, you may be trying to do the same thing and that, you know, the Smith household next door, you know, they may sing really well and they may do all this stuff. And you're like, well, we don't sing and we don't, you know. And so um, there can be a high bar that's set when you start doing this. And it, and it takes some maturity to know that I may not be able to do something the same as the Smiths can. I can do something different. Maybe my, my dinner table doesn't look as nice, but I know how to teach kids how to work on a car. It's really important to teach kids how to work on a car, right? Uh, you know, and so I think there is that, that there's kind of unwritten things that happen in a community that, that sets this un, unwritten expectation that can be really hard to achieve. And so you have to be careful with some of those things because not everyone, you know, all men are not created equal. Uh, I mean, before God, we're equal, but in, our, in terms of our, our abilities, our talents, our money, uh, we're not all equal. And some people can do an awful lot more than others. And you don't want to create an environment where people that can't do, you know, what the Smiths and Joneses can do, you don't want them to feel like, well, I'm nothing. And so that's something to watch for as well, kind of things that, that crop up when you're trying to build a community like this. That's an interesting one because I it was just, uh, it probably hasn't been uploaded to the website uh, just yet, but will be shortly. I was interviewing another community leader and he was talking about the importance of making sure that the weaker members uh, don't get left behind or feel left out or pushed too fast, um, that it wasn't, as he put it, that a community could be based on human strength instead of on the love of God that fills up our human weakness. Um, and, and, and yeah, just like, uh, or, or another earlier conversation in one of the podcasts where we talked about uh, family envy, you know, like, right. oh, look at those feels perfect family. Uh, you know, golly, I'm, I'm a loser. <laughs> Exactly. No, it's it's the same thing. So it's kind of the same concept. You know, somebody has a better family than me and you don't feel like my family is as good as yours or, you know, they, they have more money. That that becomes an issue when you're trying to do things like this or they have a better marriage. That's that's a really big thing is, oh, you know, if, if you had my spouse, you know, your spouse is so and you, and you have all these ideas. And, you know, the funny thing is, is as you know, we've had a community for 45 years and some of the families that look like they were the, the most stellar families and the sol- most solid families. Five or 10 years later, you found out, man, they had some really serious issues I didn't know about. And they actually were in much worse shape than my family that I thought was in terrible shape. And um, so, you know, uh, it can go both ways. You can you can judge these people thinking, man, if my family was like that. And then you feel later on, you find out, wow, I, I guess my family, you know, for all of our faults, we actually had some things going pretty well. It's interesting because in, in this earlier episode, we were talking about how in, in a tight community um, setting one of the temptations can be just exactly that to hide um, problems because you know they're embarrassing. Who wants to admit that there's some kind of trouble in the family? Yeah. But then when eventually get every single family is looking with envy at all the other apparently perfect families, and each family of course is hiding these internal problems. And then the man I was talking to said that uh, at that point when something finally does come out into the open, uh, poof, it's very likely that the whole community will just evaporate because. Um, they weren't, they weren't acknowledging that we're weak, that there's problems, that people are flawed. And, and if it, the community can't come to terms with that early on, it probably won't succeed, won't survive its first real uh, crisis that comes to light. Right. And, and that, that does happen with communities. And, you know, we, in City of the Lord, we experienced some things like that. So, you know, some really, some really bad things that happened at one point, um, a really tragic situation that, you know, somebody made some really bad choices and, uh, and brought a bunch of people down and, and did some, some bad things. And it's like, that can just completely torpedo a community. Um, 
or you know it can you can realize oh wow I, I you know I guess I guess we were too trusting in some ways because you know um, you you have to in some ways trust and verify it, it takes a long time to build trust uh, and, and to really be careful with some things and so yeah um, that that's very common within communities is you know you get ten and fifteen years in and then something terrible happens and the whole thing tears apart and, and that's why you know and I'll, I'll talk a minute about some of these principles that you have to get in place are, are just absolutely essential. Otherwise you, you won't last 10 years. You, you'll, you'll be lucky to last a year or two unless you establish some of the, some of the right principles, but yeah. Um, you know, tragedies do happen and, um, and uh, they're, they can be devastating. And we, we've seen that within the whole, all the different communities around the world. There, there have been pretty devastating things that have happened in community. And, you know, like, if like if you you talked earlier about utopian expectations of community, I think that's part of it. That one of the reasons that rocky spots on the road can can tear the community apart, and also why there can be this temptation to hide anything that's wrong, is that the people coming in had such high expectations of of what it would be. Like they leave behind all their you know past faults and failings, and right. that everything would just be absolutely sunny and they can't let that dream drop. Right. And therefore they're willing to lie to themselves and others to pretend that that dream is still in place. Right. Or, or to, to recognize something that's you need to recognize early on is we're all flawed and we will do things that are wrong. And um, if you expect perfection, then you're going to be sorely disappointed. Um, you can have some really beautiful things in community, but you can also have some really challenging, ugly things, and um, and you have to you have to be prepared for challenges and and you know and lay the foundation pastorally for how you handle things when they do come up. And like I said, there's no perfect community, uh, but there are communities that are, but still they're beautiful nonetheless. So you're trying to start the. A Sursum Corda community in your area in New Mexico. And what do you envision for it? What is the division here? Right. So, you know, my wife and I, we left Arizona in the year 2000 and we, uh, we thought, well, we're going to move up to Arizona. We're probably going to start a branch of City of the Lord in Arizona. I'm sorry, in New Mexico. And, you know, over the years we invited, I can't tell you how many people we invited to our homes and we'd have nice conversations. We, we told them about this amazing experience of community and, um, and they would say, oh, my gosh, that sounds so nice. That sounds so wonderful. And we thought kind of community would naturally spring from talking about this and, you know, in, in inviting people over. But really nothing came of it. You know, we, we would invite people to, you know, come on down and visit us for our, our annual convocation and, and, and come and join us and come and see it. And, you know, we, we just were unsuccessful in getting people to to hop in the car, drive seven hours and go join and see what City of the Lord was about. And so it started to become clear that, you know, we wanted that kind of intergenerational community that would support one another and, and you know, emotional, physical support to help celebrate, help evangelize. But there was no people just don't have a vision for it. Normal Catholics, it's just not part of their understanding. And so the idea of intentional community was very far from their experience and they had no they had no idea what we were talking about and you know early on when we started uh sursum corda you know uh we we my wife and i would talk about community and things like that but it really is like two two and a half years in where people would say you know i had no idea what community was i didn't know that i even needed it and now i can't live without it 
you know, but it took a, a amount of time, water under the bridge, and you know, a lot of investment on on the part of Kathy and I to try and invest in people before they started to start to see to get a glimpse of what community could be like. And so, um, so you know, we wanted to start a branch of City of the Lord, but that just it became clear that there is no. Uh, it's not possible to do it just kind of in a vacuum like this and that we're going to have to start from scratch. And so um, we wanted to do it, but we didn't really know how. We never started a community, right? So we started a meeting with, there was a couple here from the Emmanuel community from France. They were visiting from a year in Albuquerque, uh, Francois and Anne Giradon, and we would get together and we would pray with them. Uh, in fact, as a funny story, we were at Mass at church one day and there was this family with six kids and um, it wasn't our parish. We were at a visiting parish. This family with six kids, they were clearly French. You can tell French people the way they dress. Six kids. My wife walks up to the person, to the, to the gentleman. And he says, and he's here from, he's here from Dijon, France. He knows nobody in town. And he, she says, well, you must be from the Emmanuel community. And his, his tongue drops on the floor. He's like, how, did you know that? <laughs> and she said, you're French, you have six kids and you're in mass. <laughs> and, um, and if you understand the impact that the Emmanuel community has had on the church in France, I mean, it is phenomenal. And so sure enough, they were from the Emmanuel community and uh, we struck up a fast friendship and we started having them over to our home uh, to pray for community that we would be able to get community started here in New Mexico. We'd pray with them for a year. They went back to France. And then we met another couple that was in town. They grew up in a community up in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and very similar to City of the Lord, but theirs was much bigger and kind of much more developed than ours was. Um, and we started, we prayed with them for really a couple of years. We would meet uh, every few weeks. We'd, we'd get together. We'd, we'd do some praise and worship, and we would pray that God would open the door for community here in New Mexico. And so we have the desire, but it really takes kind of the, the right coming together to know what to do. And uh, a missionary friend um, that he wasn't my friend at the time, but there was a Catholic missionary couple that moved to town and in talking with them and their vision, it was like we finally had a few families that had a vision for building community uh, that we were able to kind of get this, this process started. And um, so so we, again, we're going to start building a community from scratch, which we had never done before. But one thing that was really clear from the city of the Lord is that community really flows from this encounter with the Lord. And if someone hasn't had a substantial encounter with the Lord and this desire to live under the Lordship of Jesus and, and be a disciple, you can't really build community. And um, it was interesting. That was one of the things that that I saw from my my parents and their friends is that they lived scripture. So Romans 12, uh, I don't know, I'm sure if you're familiar with that scripture, but it says, um, I urge you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, whole and entire. Be transformed by the renewal of your minds, right? And it was just this beautiful scripture. And if you read the whole chapter, it lays out this beautiful model of community life, about being hospitable, about helping one another, about forgiving one another, about serving one another. It's like Romans 12 was this beautiful chapter in scripture, and they were trying to live it to the point where they actually struck medallions and in, in, in Romans 12 became kind of their battle cry. They, they had these medallions and people got, you know, license plates on their car that said Romans 12, and they were trying to live scripture like that. And it took some reflection for me to see that that was, they were disciples. They were already disciples. 
in that what flowed out of that discipleship was this community. That was an expression of their discipleship. And, and it allowed all of the amazing evangelization to happen. That's really interesting you brought up Romans 12, because a few years back when I started a book discussion group that I was hoping would help to build community in the local area, I named it the Romans 12 2 uh, book club, you know. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Yeah, exactly. Um, in act- I just want to mention one of my prized things, both of my parents have died. My One of my prized things <clears throat> Excuse me, is there Romans 12 medal that I have on my nightstand? That's really beautiful. And it is it is such an amazing scripture there to try to live that out, that that renewal to be to really be conformed to the Lord. In in what ways uh does your vision for Sirson Corridor differ from the vision or plan of the City of the Lord and what is similar? Uh, is there any significant differences? Right. Well, you know, in terms of the outcome that we're looking for, which is a transformed life and people supporting one another and, and bringing culture into your home and evangelization, you know, we're looking for similar outcomes that we have to have a very different approach because, again, we're having to grow something organically. Um, the whole charismatic aspect just doesn't really exist anymore to the, to the extent that it did. So, um, you know, we're building slowly and methodically from scratch. And, and so one of the things I hope grows out of this podcast is that that people that want to do the same things can you know we can help you know give away the small things that we've learned so far um city of the lord is fantastic but it's very difficult to replicate from you know from from scratch so you have to have um a a vision and a structure to build on and that's what we're trying to lay the foundation for so um again we're looking for similar outcomes i would say what we're doing wouldn't wouldn't be nearly as charismatic as them just because you know the the, the charismatic dimension, it doesn't exist in the community where we are. So it's by, by nature, it's not nearly as charismatic, but we are looking for similar outcomes. And uh, when we were talking on the phone, you shared about the four pillars that uh, you you and your community wrote up to guide the development of the Sirsum Core community. Can you tell us a little bit about how you came up with them and what they uh, consist of? Right. So, you know, when we started, we didn't, again, we didn't know how to start a community. So we just started talking about things and sharing some experiences. And, you know, as we progressed, we had, as we had new people come in, you know, two years later, some new people would come in and we'd have to say, well, what are we trying to do? So we, we tried to put together this presentation, this 10 minute presentation we do at the end of our gatherings, where we'd say, this is and at the time we were called FSG, the faith, the family support group, faith support group. That was originally we were alpha because we started with the alpha program and then we became FSG because, well, we were done with alpha and then eventually we became the Sursum Corda community. But in the process of kind of wrestling with that presentation about trying, you know, I've talked about all these amazing things from community. Can you distill that into 10 minutes that doesn't overwhelm someone and that will try and attract them to what you're trying to do? It's a very difficult thing. So we've spent more than a year trying to wrestle with how do we put together this quick presentation about what we're trying to do. And as we worked on that presentation and did many revisions of it, um, these four pillars started to emerge. And and I'm going to credit Mike Dill, our good friend, and he's up in, uh, he just moved from Albuquerque up to Colorado with his wife uh, up to uh, Colorado Springs. Um, But he's the one that really kind of put together this, this, the, the, the flow and the nature of these things. But so our four pillars are this, Jesus, relationships, culture, and mission or evangelization. And we add an action verb with each of those. 
to clarify it. So love Jesus, cultivate relationships, build culture, and live mission. And so what was really beautiful that Mike came up with, because we'd been wrestling with a lot of these ideas, but this, what, what really became clear is that there's a sequence and a flow of these things that we can't really have good relationships if we don't love God. You know, we're told to love God and love our neighbor, but loving our neighbor depends on us being able to love God. So this, this inner circle of this first pillar of loving Jesus is really critical for that. And, you know, that's just a single word that, that means a whole lot of things. I'm not, I'm not describing everything that's behind that pillar, but so that loving Jesus flows into relationships and cultivating relationships. And then that flows into connecting families together. Once you're starting to develop these relationships, you want to start building culture, building culture within your homes and connecting people within that. And then that final one of mission, living mission, is if you've done a really good job of you've, you've grown in love of Jesus, you're establishing healthy, solid relationships, and you're building culture in your homes and you're connecting Catholic families together, then evangelization is actually pretty easy. It's an invitation. Please come to my house. We're having a party on Saturday night. Please come to my house. We're doing something. Please come to my house. Please come to the park. We're going to be uh, having a picnic you start to invite people in and they're first going to, it kind of works backwards with, with the way people experience it. So they're going to first experience the culture because you're going to invite them to some event. And within that event, they're going to notice the relationships and you're going to talk with them. And you're going to start to build up relationships. And hopefully through that culture and those relationships, you're going to draw them into the source and summit of our faith, Jesus and Jesus in the Eucharist in the heart of the church. And so those are the four pillars that we've come up with. And what's beautiful is I think it's really, I think it's almost prophetic. Uh, and I think this is something given to Sursum Corda and that we have to offer that, you know, with all of the, all of the time and experience I spend in community, I think this is kind of a unique model that Sursum Corda has because we were able to distill so much of this amazing life and community into four simple pillars that someone can understand in a one or two or minute presentation when you talk to them about it and they can say, oh, I need to know more about that. So those are the, those are our four pillars. And, um, and I think they're a really powerful method and that, that we want to share with the world. It's something that I think the Lord gave to, to Sursum Corda, but we want to share those with, with other people that are trying to do a similar thing and build community. I really like the way you put it about how it works uh, from the relationship with Jesus to evangelization for the, the person uh, in their spiritual development. But that, as you said, that when it's experienced by those out in the world, they experience it in reverse order. Right. And and I like that um, aspect because, you know, I think sometimes Christians can imagine that evangelization that we can just go out there and say, you know, like, um, you should believe in Jesus or you should get your life turned around. And, um, you know, I'm not saying it never works, but I imagine uh, it would have a much lower success rate uh, going about it in that direction. Right, right. Uh, and, and, you know, because that, that, that plays into this idea that we have to create an environment. When we invite people into an environment and they can actually experience love maybe for the first time in their life, that's going to transform them. And so this, this four pillars, I mean, we can state it very simply, but it's also, there's, there's like a whole map behind that. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a roadmap for growth in discipleship and community. It's kind of elements that you have to have in place to grow 
to be a disciple and to grow a successful community. And, and really everything from that, if you were to map it back to our experience in City of the Lord community, and when my wife, she had lived in Rome with the Emmanuel community, and she lived in New York City with the um, Covenant House, which was, a, was an organization helping runaway kids. There's some common elements and themes in successful communities that I think have been captured in these four pillars. Right. And in, in one of the pillars you mentioned about the importance of forgiveness and respect and honoring one another in community life and especially reconciliation. Can you tell more about uh, that, how that plays out in community life and why it's so important? Right. Yeah. It, I, I think it's just so fundamental. And I want to mention something here. Um, it's a book written by one of the leaders of City of the Lord. It's called Living the Gospel as a Way of Life. It used to be available on Amazon. I'm not sure if it still is, but you can buy, you can get it from the City of the Lord website. I think it's cityofthelord.org. Um, it was written by uh, James Jones, one of the founders of the community. And, and it took the teachings. You know, we didn't invent these things. They, they kind of came from Scripture in many of the communities, the larger communities, like I mentioned, the one at Word of God up in Ann Arbor, Michigan, um, they, they, they developed these really great principles about community life from Scripture. And a lot of those have been captured in this book, Living the Gospel as a Way of Life. So I really recommend everyone get that and, and read it because I think it's going to be very helpful. But when you look there, you know, one of the first things that they talk about is building a culture of honor and respect. And so much of that has to do with how we use our speech and specifically not gossiping uh, and creating an environment where we're, we're not tearing people down, we're building people up. So you can get within a community, one person that's gossiping, that's spreading rumors, um, even saying true things. It doesn't have to be, you know, you know, true things can be very damaging. Um, going around and using their tongue in inappropriate ways. You know, scripture talks about, uh, you know, the tongue being the, the most unwieldy, you know, of our, of our whole body. And it's like the rudder of the ship that it can, it can bring ruin. And it's so true. And so the first thing, like in this idea of living the gospel as a way of life is we build a culture of honor and respect. We don't gossip. We talk positive about one another. We, we, we build people up with our speech. You know, we have to get rid of a lot of negative humor. Uh, people are in, 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 in habits of literally bad negative humor, of grumbling, of a critical spirit. These will kill any community, whether it's a religious community. You know, you're the Franciscans. If you have people doing that, it will kill your community. So the first thing is establishing this idea of we're building a culture of honor and respect. And then the second part is, none of us are going to fully live up to that because we're human. And so we're going to say things that offend people. We're going to do things that offend people. We're going to, you know, I'm going to borrow your lawnmower and use it. And I'm going to, I'm going to ruin the blade and I'm going to bring it back and I'm embarrassed and I'm not going to tell you, you know, that we're going to do things. We're just, you know, when you, when you have community life, you're going to, things are going to happen. And, um, and unless you've established this idea that, you know, relationships matter and we have a commitment to healthy relationships. And if I've done something, then I'm going to have to go and say, you know what? I'm really embarrassed. I borrowed your lawnmower. I ruined the blade. I will take it in and get it fixed, but I know you won't be able to cut your grass. I'm very sorry for that. Um, would you please forgive me? And so you have to say that you're sorry. And then you have to ask the person, would you please forgive me? See, that, that's a, it's such a simple step that we're not in the habit of doing. We may, be, we, we may be willing to say, oh, I'm sorry, you know, kind of a, by the way, oh, I'm sorry, but 
I'm sorry, I've done something wrong. I'll do my best not to do this again. Would you please forgive me? And then you kind of put it in their camp. And you know what? They may come back and say, you know what? I'm too angry right now. I mean, the lawnmower is not such a big deal, but there's other things that happen in your life where, you know, I need some time. It may take a day. It may take a week. It may take a month. And before you can come back and say, you know what? I'm very, you know, yes, I will forgive you. Um, and, but when you establish this kind of culture, this, this, this forgiveness, um, it, it's really important because you can't build a community without it because things will come up. And that's one of the things that I think one of the primary things that my wife and I learned in being part of City of the Lord is this whole idea is that we have to create a, a culture of honor and respect, and we have to be committed to healthy relationships and to repairing wrongdoing when it happens. And, you know, there are going to be people that disagree. You're going to have some of the voted for Trump and you're going to have some of the voted for Biden in the same community. Are you going to hate one another or are you going to learn to uh, live with disagreement and respect one another? Even though you may have real heartburn with some of the things that they, that they think, um, there's a certain level where you have to be able to live with disagreement if you're going to live in community because not everyone's going to be in the same political party. Not everyone's going to have the same ideas of theology, uh, of child rearing, of parenting, of breastfeeding, of schooling. There's a lot of things that divide us. And unless you've established this, you know, so if there's one thing I want to get across to people is that if you're going to build community, invest in this idea of a culture of honor and respect and really invest in teaching and talking about and studying this, this idea together that forgiveness has to be part and parcel of what we do. You know, that's very beautiful. And it's something that I've, you know, often struggled with in my life. It's, it's so hard to do sometimes, you know, you, I think especially the idea of not giving up on people, right? That you disagree or you, you've come to some kind of, you've had some kind of problem. And it can be so easy sometimes to just figure, oh, well, you know, scrap that. I'm not, I'm not dealing with that person anymore. And I, you know, can see that in my life. I've, I've done that at times. And I'm thinking about a particular time where it was kind of tempting to do that. I'd, I'd got into a real tangle with a, a friend and we both uh, pretty much accused the other one of being a heretic. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> we really, and then like, I was really impressed because my friend, I was thinking, well, like, that's that, like the friend is going to write me off, you know? Right. And, and the friend didn't. Right. Like they still didn't agree. It wasn't like we had, we uh, were able like to this day, we have not managed to come to any agreement on our, our problem, but we realized that it, it wasn't, it wasn't like it was an unimportant thing either. Like, you know, the truth is important, but that beyond, even beyond the importance of that particular truth, the truth that we're both Christians and Christ wants us to love and respect one another was more. And when my friend um, was able to, you know, go through that and keep, it was like, I was really, I was so moved because you know, I don't know if, if, uh, if they hadn't, unfortunately, I might've not, um, might've not seen it, might've not, you know, been, been willing to, you know, give them another chance, which I should have, but because they were willing to give me another chance, I was able to do the same. And it was, it was really impressive. And I was like, wow, you know, like, this is what we Christians should be doing and, and what can get lost in like all these, you know, political or theological disagreements, or as you said, you know, just the things of life, like the lawnmower. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the theological discussions, they get heated and things like that. And, you know, especially now with social media, that, that's really easy to happen. But, you know, you can imagine if, if you're, you're trying to put a community together, um, people are addicted to porn. 
people are, they drink too much. People are, um, you know, they swear people, there, there's a lot of, you know, becoming Christian doesn't mean all of a sudden you're transformed. It means that, you know, you may receive God's forgiveness, but we're, we're a work in progress. And you, know, you can imagine the, the, the kind of challenge that would happen in a community if, if your kid introduced my kid to pornography, how happy am I going to be as a parent with you and your family? And, you know, so I'm going to say, get out of my life. You know, that's, that's my natural inclination is, you know, I don't want anything to do with you. And, and the parent on the other side, they're thinking they're humiliated by this thing that, you know, their child had done something really wrong and they may have led my child into something really wrong. And, you know, I mean, that's just an example or, 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 you know, you my kid taught your, you know, introduce your kid to, to some drug or something like that, you know, these things exist in the world. And if you form a community, as much as you'd like to say, none of that's going to exist, there's going to be some element of that. It'll hopefully be much, much less, much less, but it'll happen. And if something like that happens, man, it's difficult. That, that can just, it sends shockwaves when something terrible like that happens. And, you know, especially when it gets to our kill, when it gets to our children, it's like, we are very protective and it's very hard. And, you know, working through those things. And, and so if we're going to build community and, and I'm, I'm very much an advocate for that, you know, we, we want to, we want to create environments where they have no access to porn, where they have no access to drugs, but you know, in, in that, that, that wouldn't even be conceivable to them, but you know, things like that do happen. So um, yeah, that's why this is so important. And that's why it's like the, um, the second pillar of this community that we're trying to form is cultivating relationships. And, and it involves this kind of thing of, um, of, of really creating this in this culture of, of, of honor, but also the commitment to forgiveness and to cultivating those relationships and not running away from people when, 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 when challenging and difficult things happen is you have to work through them. Right. And you know, that, that thing about protecting children, it, it can be a motive because, uh, I know I've experienced community settings where the the primary drive was that protection of, of children from the world, and of course it's perfectly valid. We we talked a lot about this in an earlier podcast episode, but at the same time, like if that's the main motivation, um, it can lead to kind of these these uh, strict kind of like um, ideological purity tests almost where the community keeps drawing itself in smaller and smaller as it tries to eradicate all the undesirable people right. as they see it from the community. And of course, like there's always going to be some more un- undesirable people from whatever point of view inside. And it keeps breaking up into smaller and smaller um, groups as, you know, like, Oh, that person reads the wrong books. That person has the wrong views. Uh, I don't like the kind of music that person likes. And, and you right. got, in that kind of circle, you got to the point where, you know, like you talk about cancel culture, you got afraid of um, like, you know, like if you read the wrong books associated with the wrong people, then you're like, if they got canceled, you'd get canceled. And uh, yeah, it was really, it certainly didn't help to build uh, a healthy community life, you know? Um, And, and, you know, like the sad thing is sometimes, you know, like, as you said, sometimes the things can be serious and other times they can be so trivial, really. Um, when it comes down to it, you know, um, even, even small things can have this ability to, you know, raise these strong emotions. And then like that person is taboo. That person is an outsider. Yeah. I mentioned, I mentioned something really serious that that could cause conflict. 
there, you know, I mean, like in a marriage, you know, something really silly can cause, you know, the, the way you uh, fold the napkin when you're setting the table that just annoys someone or, you know, there's the, the closer you get to people and the more, you know, living, living in close proximity means also you're going to get to see people more and some of the more annoying things that people have, those will, those will manifest themselves and you'll see that. And then, then you have to deal with that. And so they don't have to be really terrible things. They can be just small, annoying things that, that get blown out of proportion. And, you know, a lot of things like, like the way, if you're going to, are you going to be a schedule feeder when you're nursing? Or are you going to be a demand feeder? Are you going to homeschool? Are you going to do public school? Are you going to do Catholic school? You know, the parenting techniques, there's, there's a hundred ways, there's a thousand ways of, of, of things like that, that, you know, there's not one way to parent, but different parenting styles can cause conflict. And just know, you have to know those things and you have to be prepared for how are we going to work our way through these things. Yeah. And I think, too, you know, when people come into community, one of the things they sometimes think is that they'll be able to escape all those uh, problems because they imagine that they'll be able to form a community of people just like them. You know, right. we're going to have agreement down to how we dress and, and everything. And uh, I remember one. I don't think he got anywhere with it, but we knew this guy. He wanted to form a community and he thought it would be really great if we all spoke French <laughs> in the community, you know, like, you know, we were going to be like, it, it can, it, community building attempts can attract these people who they've got a vision down to the last yeah. uh, dot yeah. and it's going to be followed, you know? <laughs> right, right. Right. Yeah. That That's, I'm sorry. That's funny. It is. It was very funny. And and we weren't we weren't interested, but you know right. <laughs> um, so we we've talked about how difficult it can be to build community. What do you think are some of the biggest obstacles uh, among Christians today, as far as actually getting out there and building community? What are some of the things that can really tend to get in the way? You know, if you're going to try and build community, like like I said, I think community really flows from the sense of encounter with this shared experience of the Lord. And it's going to flow from that. And if, if that doesn't exist, it's hard to build community. Um, I mean, you can have a, a homeschool group, you can have a book club, and there's some level of, you know, there's some level of connection from there. But if that's really going to progress, there it has to be based on this this deep encounter with the Lord. Another thing I think is, is no vision is, you know, you might have a utopian vision. Wouldn't it be great? But no vision for like practically how do we go about the steps of, of building community and, um, so, yeah, so so you have to have a vision for it as well. Um, and then uh, another big thing is people not willing to make time is that they may think, oh, that sounds so wonderful. And you'll you'll see this where nobody's willing to make time to have a small group meeting for a large group meeting for anything. They're not willing for service. They, and so, you know, in order to have a community function, you have to have people that are going to literally carve time out of their schedule to make it happen. So that, that's going to become important. Um, lack of virtue. I mentioned earlier, you know, um, many people are a hot mess. Um, and, uh, you know, once you start peeling back layers of the young and you realize, like I said, you know, a large percentage of young people have issues with pornography. A large percentage of young people are using drugs. A large percentage, uh, you know, they're swearing, they're cheating, they're stealing. They're, they're, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of challenges, you know, once you get below the surface. And um, so a lack of virtue. So we, we have to know, you know, our primary... Our primary um, vocation in life is we're called to holiness, and that that means growing in virtue. 
And virtue is going to grow from our relationship with Jesus and allowing the Holy Spirit to work through us. And if we're, if we're not, if we're cut off from that source and summit, we're not going to be, we're not going to be growing in virtue. And so that that's essential. You know, you can't have a, a, a community of 100% dysfunctional people. Everyone has to be growing in virtue. Um, the other thing is it takes leaders. You know, someone's going to have to stand up and lead and have ideas and people are going to have to, to, to be willing to follow a leader. You know, every you, you can do some things by committee, um, and, and you know you need to do some things by committee. But it's, at the end of the day, there has to be someone that can stand up and lead, and, and that and that people are willing to follow. And then, you know, you especially leaders they may they may have this idea of what they want community to become, and I'm I'm absolutely guilty of this. I want I want to see a, a city of the Lord type of community spring from nothing and be functioning, and I don't want to go through the hard process of getting there. And the reality is it takes work. You know, you have to have an honest dialogue with the people in the community. They don't have a vision that you might have. And so you have to have an honest dialogue of what's possible. You know, um, you may want to do all these things, but it's like, nope, sorry, I only have time to meet once a month. And so you're going to have to start with meeting once a month and, and doing a subset of what you might want to do. And so I, I think those, you know, I think those are some obstacles in, in getting communities up and running. And then to kind of uh, wrap this episode up, if you wanted to summarize a few key points for people who are trying to build community, what should they do? What should they aim at as kind of a more practical uh, level? Right. Um, you know, we've presented so many ideas and they, they, they sound overwhelming and they can be. And I don't want people to to have this sense that I can't do anything. Um the first thing is just get some families together and pray. You know, we, we know families that are getting together and they're gathering in a park and they're praying a rosary and they'll have a meal. Sometimes there's some snacks and they talk to each other. Start with that. Start doing something simple. Get together, pray a divine mercy, do some fun things, have some picnics. That's how you start. You just start building relationships and doing something together and, and praying, you know, including some level of spiritual life in that. Um, and, you know, and then individually, you're going to have to have a focus that, you know, Jesus and his church are going to have to be the center of my life. And I have to be tapped into that root. Otherwise, you know, we're not going to we're not going to be able to progress. So, you know, everyone having this sense that, you know, our faith and our personal prayer life, those things are important. Um, then I think the third thing is, is, um, you know, as you grow, as you start to do this, there's going to be a sense of, all right, we need to get a little more focused. Well, you know, you can do some things in the large group where you get together and, you know, you may do it in a park, you may do it in a church, but you're going to have to have a need for some large group things and some small group things. And it's going to be really important that you have some men's groups and some women's group because you need to get deep in your conversations. You need to be able to be vulnerable. Um, you're going to need to study some things that maybe men and women might do differently. So um, start as you start to grow a little bit, then you're going to have to divide into some small groups. And again, you're going to have to decide how often are we going to meet? What are we going to do? But you will need some small groups. And then if you get two or three small groups, you need to meet together as a large group to have kind of common vision of what this means as community. The fourth thing I want to mention is there's a lot of communities out there and they've been down this path. Go learn about other communities. Go explore. Um, you know, City of the Lord. If you call up City of the Lord and say, you know what, I would love to come down for your trolley party. You know, they're going to tell you when it is and you'll be able to come down and experience their trolley party or um, you know, you could get an invitation to their, their convocation. Um, you know, Sir some Corda, we're a small community, but we do do some things. If you called us, I'd say, well, you know, we've got a family fun night scheduled on a certain time, or we're going to be doing a Lord's Day, or we're going to be doing something. 
you know, we're a small, tiny community. We're just getting started, but we, we will invite people to come and join what we're doing. So go explore what these other communities have done and learn from them. Um, you know, come to the Sursum Corda website. Um, we're, our goal is to give away the things that we're learning and make it available to people. So explore other communities and see what they've done and go visit them if you can. And the, the last thing I want to mention in this area is stick with it. It doesn't happen overnight. We've been at Sursum Corda now for over four years. You know, a year and a half ago, we are at our, our first gathering of, of 2019. We had over 60 people, I think 65 people. And between people moving out of town and COVID, um, we're down to a few families again. Um, but the families that are with us, they really understand this need for community right now. They're very committed to it. And they have four years of experience now. So even though we're, we're, we've shrunk, we're not, my wife and I, we're not discouraged because, um, you know, we're in this for the long haul. And so those are, I think, a few things that I would say. Start start simple and build from there. And don't be overwhelmed with, you know, you're not a city of the Lord right away. Yeah, thanks so much, uh, Tim, for those points, because they're, they're really good. And I especially like that last one, you know, sticking with it. I think in our culture today, you know, we can want it to be like, you know, you, you click a few buttons and, and you're there, you've achieved whatever it is you're out to achieve. But real life is a much more uh, slow and organic process than that. And it takes a lot of patience to achieve anything good, which, you know, just not, not recognize as much. And thanks, you know, for sharing everything here, uh, Tim. Thanks for sharing all your experience. It's been really great. I'm really glad we could have you on this podcast. Well, thank you. I very much appreciate being invited on. And I hope that this will um, have people want to learn more about community and have the, the enthusiasm to actually start, start small and grow. Yeah, thanks again and have a great rest of your day. Okay. Thank you and God bless.